Hi and welcome to the How to Shoot Hybrid podcast from your story studios. My name's Jules and if you're new to the podcast, we discuss photography, videography, filmmaking and topics around building successful and sustainable creative businesses. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. The idea behind these episodes is to share things that we have learnt or experienced along the way and sometimes we speak to other people to find out about their experiences when we have guests on. Partly we want to build an open-minded community to learn and grow. We hope you enjoy being here with us. So, this week we're going to be talking about editing because in the previous sort of five, six, seven, eight episodes, I've lost count, sorry, um, we've been doing, talking about things in regards to shooting on wedding days. Um, kind of practical things of what you might be doing with your camera, uh, the settings, uh, things that you're going to consider in, in terms of lighting and composition. And all that kind of is going to come together because um, you're going to be coming to the edit. And the edit, whether you're doing photo or you're video, doing video or both, is going to be, for me, probably it's a it's a very important step. It's it is important to both. It's more important to video than it is to photo. You could technically, I suppose, deliver things straight out of a camera. You could just shoot in JPEG and then deliver things straight out of a camera. That's not really how people do it these days. I don't know anybody who does that as a professional photographer. Um, everybody's doing some level of editing, post-production. So I suppose it's a, it is a step. Is definitely an important step for videography because, you know, we have to make what we capture into something that's watchable. Although, as a precursor, what I would say is the invention of the content creator and the fact that everybody's got phones and they're capturing things all day, um, you know, from everybody who's working at the wedding venues, coordinators and planners to florists to makeup artists hairdressers hairstylists you know they're all capturing their own content bands all the rest of it everyone's capturing content um and so the editing part is less of a thing i'm not it's i'm still saying it's totally important it's key to this whole game but it's it has changed because of the whole content creation thing, because obviously people now um, can just kind of snap something quite easily, a video on their phone, put it, upload it straight away, use it straight away, or use an app on their phone to edit it, or even just like edit something together in like Instagram or TikTok, use it like using the Reels function. So you can, yeah, it's changed the game and it's changing the game, but... Editing as a creative, editing from an artistic um, perspective, you know, putting your stamp, your take, your style on something, I think is always going to be important when you're offering a service as a professional and, you know, you're expecting people to pay decent money for it. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be going through it quick sticks. Um... But first of all, I wanted to sort of say, uh, before we go into the main bit of the episode, what I wanted to to say was like, on the last episode, I talked about a uh, revolutionary camera and like, it was probably a bit kind of, you might have, you might have listened to that episode thinking that I was going to be talking about something different because literally like the day after that or the day that that podcast came out or within a day, Sony dropped the um, news of the new uh, Sony A9 III. Um, now, if you're not into gear, you're not into cameras and tech and all that, it won't mean that much to you. But if you do kind of have an interest in the camera t- tech side of stuff, I mean, when the when I saw that the A9 III got announced and I looked at the kind of specs of it and I've watched some reviews and early kind of uh, thoughts on it from YouTubers that, that do camera reviews and things... And my instant thing on it is it's like almost, we're, go, we're definitely going in the direction of like perfect hybrid camera. Um, 
you know, the 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 fact that you've got that global shutter, the fact that the, the processing power is so quick, the fact that you can shoot kind of 120 frames a second or 100 frames a second, whatever, in photo mode as well as video mode is like pretty crazy. Um, and and basically the, 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 you know, that, that camera is going to be perfect for if you're a hybrid wedding shooter and you're trying to capture both photo and video because it's almost like you don't even need to choose anymore. You could, you could shoot sections in stills because you don't need to shoot at 100 frames a second. You could shoot in less than that. I don't know what options exactly it gives you, but you could shoot less than that and you could basically stitch that those photos together as a, a video clip. So if you were trying to capture something like when we're talking about things that happen and you need to capture them in both photo and video at the same time, potentially, I'm not saying that that camera is going to allow you to do this because I'm not sure how long you can keep a burst mode of 100 frames a second going for. But theoretically, you know, if they're able to read and record data that quick. There is a chance that in the future, you are going to have a camera that can capture photo and video, you know, simultaneously because the readout speed, the data capturing speed is that quick. So that's really big step forward. And if Sony's future cameras are like that, that's going to be amazing. For me, at this point, that camera isn't going to actually be available till spring apparently so i'm thinking well you know it's it's not out now and in in the uk it's over six thousand quid so that is a serious investment i mean i've got the sony a1 and, and that was i think six and a half when i got that i think around six anyway huge investment I mean, it just shows you what the next Sony A1 is going to cost. It's going to be like eight grand or something. Um, but we'll see. I don't think I'm going to be buying that first iteration, but it does indicate what an amazing camera the next Sony A1 is going to be. Anyway, enough about that. Um, been super busy. Didn't do an episode last week. Ooh, I've got... I've got sort of like right in the thick of the editing backlog, hence this is a good time to talk about editing. And uh, I've been shooting all sorts. I've had like, I did a a funeral live stream a couple of days ago. I've got a bar mitzvah that I did the rehearsal for earlier in the week. And then I'm doing the the party tomorrow. Um, I'm recording this at the weekend. Um, And uh, I've had some like commercial jobs and stuff. I'm just trying trying to keep up. So it's funny because everyone talks around you like they're quieting you down. And for me, I'm still right in the thick of it. I've still got work coming in, um, which is great. I'm really, really fortunate that that's the case. Um, and just trying to keep up with the editing. So, yeah, I haven't been as consistent the last couple of weeks with recording these. But anyway, let's get into the editing thing because that is what I'm doing with my time at the moment. I'm spending a lot of time on editing. So I thought it was although it was like the next logical step to ta- start talking about editing after talking about shooting for the last few episodes. I wanted to talk about um, my editing process and like the workflow basically, because honestly, the what I remember from the early days of doing this is that the hardest thing is to get into a good workflow and an efficient process when it comes to editing. Something that because you want because you want to be creative and because especially especially your first few years, you are experimenting. And there is nothing wrong with that. And that is exactly what you should be doing because that's how you're going to work out what you like doing, what your style is by experimenting. If you didn't do that experimental phase, if you didn't try things out, you would not understand what it is that you like and what you want to do and what you want to kind of be offering to people and essentially if you didn't do that you'd never have like a unique selling point you'd never have your you know thing but the issue with it is is that you're slower when you start out because you don't know all the tips and tricks and also you don't have your process and your workflow sorted out so it takes you longer and what you really need to be able to do is you need to be able to do things efficiently. You need to be able to do things quickly. 
And especially if you are going to do hybrid, because when you're doing photo and video, there's essentially twice as much work. So you need to be twice as efficient if you're going to make it work from a, you know, a workload, balance, life balance, financial balance perspective. So let's be honest. When, photo and video, when it comes to editing, photo and video are different. But it doesn't really matter because, and it doesn't really matter what stage you're at, it doesn't really matter what style you're at. But the main thing to develop over time after we get the put the experiment into one side is you want to get an effective and an efficient process for you. Um, because what you want is to be able to when we talk about editors block when we talk about sometimes you know i can't i can't i know what it's like i still now find it hard to finish some pieces and what i do when i get there is i try to return to this process so if i if i have a base process um or i have a kind of format that I can fall back on, even though I try to make things different for every wedding, especially when I'm doing video editing. If I've got a process to fall back on, I'm going to be able to kind of reset to get back on track with things. Because if you get into a rut where you're like, I don't know what to do with this, especially with video editing, it's like, it can be very, it can, you can spiral. You know, you can get to a point where you're like, I, I don't want to edit this anymore because it's too hard. So, you know, at this time of year, I'm recording this middle of November. If you're like me, you're going to have some form of backlog. And I have not got the biggest backlog that I've ever had. It's manageable this year. But the last two years have been horrendous. And it's been horrendous at this time of year since I started doing this, if I'm being honest. It's like you've got the summer, it's busy you're doing okay because you're kind of getting on with them. And then it gets to a point where the summer's over, but if you've still got weddings or other jobs going through September, October, then it starts to, you start to have like had two or three weddings every week. And then you've now got like 10 to 20 in the queue and you've got to work through them. But if you've still got jobs coming in, once you pick one up, you might get rid of one, but, so like the level stays roughly the same until you stop shooting basically. So at this time of year, you might be struggling with that backlog. So you need to return to like goal oriented mode. You know, this isn't a time for experimentation. It's not a time for indecision because inevitably those things are going to lead to procrastination. You're just going to be, if you don't, you're not feeling it, you're going to sit on it. You're not going to get it, get it done. So the way that you combat that, again, this is like for people that are new, this is for people that are established and have been doing this a long time. The way that you combat that is it's all about good organization and good workflow. So the place I start with for every single wedding, whether I'm doing photo or video, is I have a very specific file structure. Now this might sound really boring and it might sound really obvious, but I don't think it's I don't think it's something that everybody's doing. So I don't think it's that obvious. And by having that specific file structure, it means that you approach every job in exactly the same way in terms of how you handle the files, how you handle the data. You know where everything is, you have it all set up and it's it helps you be efficient. So, you know, you might be dealing with weddings at this point, if you've got a backlog where you shot them like weeks or even months ago. So they need to be organized and need to be ready to go. When you get, when you get to the time where that's the wedding you're working on, it needs to be, I know where everything is. I know where to find everything. It's all set up in the same way as all the rest of them. So every wedding I shoot, I store it in exactly the same way. The way I do this is I have a folder that folder would be stored in different locations. I'm not going to go into that. That's not what I'm talking about on this. I'm just going to talk about merely the fact that I have a folder. And the way that I set that up is I will call it a wedding project folder. It's, it's, a, it's a folder that's already set up. It's got all the subfolders in it and it's ready to go. And essentially what I do is, and I just copy that folder, call it the couple's name, 
and then I use that as the template to store all the files. So I don't have to create anything. I literally just duplicate or copy that folder and then I bob all the files from each wedding in, in the folders with the couple's name. So when I click into it, I've got it set up and I've got five subfolders in that folder. So one to five, one being raw files, two being assets, three being project files, four being exports, and five being deliverables. Number five, deliverables. Let's not worry about that for now because I don't really use that unless I'm using something where I'm making a lot of uh, draft edits and they're going to be my exports and then my deliverables will become the things that I'm actually going to use at the end. But most of the times I'm just using all of the all the stuff I'm going to use just goes into ex- exports. Number one, raw files is the most important. Within there, there's three subfiles. Um, these are folders that I've already got there set up. Video, number one. Number two is photo. Number three is audio. Then with, within each one, I've then got different files. So I've got each card I have set up. So the card one, card two, card three, card four, card five, and an aerial card in video. Right? And basically that means that from each camera that I'm going to use, I'm just going to put all the files from that camera or that ca- or that memory card into each separate folder. It keeps everything separate. You're not getting mixed up. You're not like, because mm, a lot of the files will be called the same thing because they're just generic file names. So it's like it keeps everything separate in its own folder. I do all this outside of any editing software. I just do it on the desktop uh, or on the hard drive that I'm using. And I do that for video, I do that for photo, and I do it for the audio. Like I'll have all the different mics and I'll put all the files from each microphone that I use on the day into a separate folder. That means that all the files are stored in exactly the same way for each wedding. So if I'm looking for a particular camera, I know that my Sony A1 is going to be card one. I know that my Sony A7S III is going to be card two. I always do it the same way. And that way... I know if I'm looking for a file from a specific camera, whether it be photo, video, or whatever, I know where to look. And I know when I'm importing them into my editing software, whether it be video in its final cut or whether it be Lightroom for photo, I know that I've imported all the files because they're all in separate folders and I've, I've made sure I've imported all of the folders. Going back to kind of the original... Um, structure of the the kind of raw files, assets, project files, exports. In assets, I'll put things like music. If I'm using any kind of graphics or extra files, maybe the couple, if it's a wedding, maybe the couple have provided me with some of their own footage from like home video, phone footage, whatever, photos that they want me to try and include into their wedding video or whatever. Um, Music particularly is the main thing. It's all going to be in the assets thing. Project files, that's where I'm going to have my final cut library and I'm going to have my Lightroom catalogue. And then exports, in exports, I've got films and I've got photographs and that's where I'm going to put everything that I export out of there. I do do it the same way and then I know where everything is. So that's kind of the starting point, if you like. And I just wanted to explain that because even though it's not cutting edge stuff, I don't know if everybody works like this. I don't believe everybody works like this. I think some people actually import, you know, direct from the card into editing software like they just have one massive Lightroom catalog or one massive final cut library and I have a separate one for each wedding because it means that I can control all of the files in a much more specific way I'm not you know and if and if something goes wrong I'm not just gonna like not know where the hell anything is it's all kind of done in a, in a specific way and it's the same for every job so that's really helpful So after ensuring everything's organised in the same way, we need to move on to doing something with the files. This is how I approach editing, and it's the same every single time. I'll start with photo, because I do believe that photo editing is much easier than video editing. And for any photographers out there that are like, what are you talking about? You know, honestly... If you've never if you've never edited a video, if 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 you're somebody who has who has edited video and photo, I know for a fact that you will agree with me that video editing is much more involved and much more complicated. So photo editing, the first thing I'm going to do is a cull. Some people will use third party software to do this. They might use something like Photo Mechanic, 
I can't remember some of the other ones, but they're like basically all they are is for ingesting ingesting data and then allowing you to rate it. Um, and the way that that software, something like Photo Mechanic, works, I did have it at one point. I don't use it anymore. It it obviously simplifies the way it creates those previews on the screen, and because all it does is allow you to rate it rather than having all these editing tools in there, the software must run much quicker. Now, that's great. If you want to use something like that to call, that's absolutely fine. I actually find now I've got a really decent spec laptop and the newer versions of Lightroom. I find that using Lightroom's library function is more than quick enough for doing culling. Um... So I just import everything. Once I've got those folders with all the files in, I import the, the folders into Lightroom and it makes some uh, previews for me. Those previews are going to not, they're going to like downscale the, the files a little bit. Um, and essentially what you then have is a smaller file that you're looking at. It's not as detailed, um, but it's good enough for culling. So it's good enough to be like, is that a keeper is not, right? And it means that you can flick through really quick. So in library mode, I'll have, I'll put it into a single picture and I will have my right hand. And there are different ways you could do this and I've tried it. I'm not saying my way is the fastest, but this is the way I do it. I have my right hand on the arrow keys. So left and right arrows in the bottom right corner of the, of the keyboard. And I have my left hand up there. So my thumb can click on the P, which is for pick. There are lots of ways of rating your photos. Some people like to use stars. You know, they give it a star rating. Some people like to use colours. I just use the pick or unpick feature. It's the quickest. And for the first cull, I don't need to know, you know, what rating. I, I don't have to grade the photos. I just need to know whether I'm going to give it another look and whether I'm going to edit that photo or potentially edit that photo. So I'm just going to flick through and I'm watching the screen and when I hit, when I, every time I see one that I think that's a keeper, I just tap my thumb, my left thumb, P, 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 and then the other finger is on the arrow going forward. And that's it. I mean, that's as simple as the culling process is for me. I do this intuitively. I have a little bit of a system in my head of like what I'm looking for. For me, a photo, you know, it's about what what am I trying, the story I'm trying to tell. You know, it isn't, some photos that I will choose will not be what other people will choose. And I would say that is the best piece of advice I can give you. If you're slow at culling, because you, you're quite new to this and you're not sure what photos to deliver to your couples, don't think about what's a good photo. Don't think about the technical aspect of it. Don't think about what, you know, another photographer would think about that photo, whether you should keep that photo or not. Just the only criteria that you need to have in your head about whether you should keep that photo or not is, would my couple want to see that moment, right? And if you think they'd want to see that moment, then you should press P. The only secondary thing that you should do to qualify it, in my view, is, is there something about that photo that would upset the couple, right? So that might be something to do with appearance and it depends on the clients that you have. So it could be something like, that's not very flattering. And if that's the case and there is another photo that shows that moment or shows a similar moment, then maybe you don't pick that one and you pick the other one instead. But that's it. That's how simple it is for me when it comes to picking which photos. So the next step is to have a solid editing base look. And other than like the occasional creative portrait or extremely challenging lighting conditions, I don't stray from the base preset, if you like, the base look that I have. I have one colour and I have one black and white preset. Um, well, I technically have two black and white presets because I have one that's lower in contrast and I have one that's higher in contrast because certain moments look great in really high contrast black and white and certain moments need a little bit less contrast in there. But I have one colour, one black and white. Um, and they're the only presets I'm going to use. And I have a similar look 
that I've created from this preset, the color preset. And that's the one that I use as my kind of base look on my video work as well. So that I have this joined up aesthetic between them and maybe, you know, um, the lighting conditions on the day might change slightly, but I'll just ramp up the look so that it's like more intense or less intense. But that way everything looks very similar and cohesive. That's it. I mean, that's my editing thing. So what I'll typically do is apply the base. Once I've done the, the, cull, the cull, I apply the base look to all of the Lightroom gallery first. Uh, I might do that before I even do the cull if I've got time. It takes a while to apply it to them all and to, to update all the previews. But if I've got time to do that, then I will because then I can cull based on already having that base preset on. So I kind of know roughly what it's going to look like when it's finished. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. And it can slow the computer down a little bit because obviously it's applying the settings to each photo when you're looking at them. So you might not want to do that, but either way, um, whether I do it before the cull or after, after I've got the cull, I will apply that base preset to everything. And then once I've got that done, I just go through, I go back to the beginning, I just go through each photo step by step using the arrow, clicking next, next. And all I will do is change two things. Now, yes, if I need to change other things, I will. But typically, the main things that I'll do to each photo is that... If I've, basically, if I've shot the, the, the image well and used the light in the best way I can, you shouldn't really need to mess about with most of your images because if you, it takes a while to get to this point. But once you've got your preset, the basic look that you want of your photos, you kind of know how that's going to interact in different lighting conditions. And you get intuitively, you know that if I put the couple here or the couple are there and this is what the light's like, it will work well with my preset. There are some that won't, but... For most, it will. The occasional occasional one, you will have to do extra tweaking because the light was challenging, you captured a moment, it wasn't optimal, or you were trying to do something specifically creative. So 5% overall, you might need to just adjust the non-global settings. You might need to go in and you might need, you might need to be adjusting specific colours. You might need to be masking and adjusting different parts of the image to, to kind of balance it up properly. I would say that's going to be 5%, 10% at the most. The rest of the images, you don't need to be messing with them. All right, It's about what's in the image. Okay. It's not about like creating a, you know, creating like this image for every single photo. Some, yes, you will want to do that, but not for every single photo. So here's the image. I'll do the first thing edit wise. I get a photo, I'll look at it. Is it exposed correctly? If not, Lower the exposure, increase the exposure. Global exposure. That's it. Global slider, right? Second thing, white balance. Is the white balance correct? Right? There's two ways you can do that. You can use a color picker. You can go on a neutral color and you can let the computer do it. Or if you've got a particular like look that you want, you might want it to be slightly warmer. You might want it to be slightly cooler. You might want a tint to be slightly greener or slightly more magenta. But if you're happy about doing it by eye, it's a two-second job. Just just altering that by hand. And then you might need to readjust the exposure slightly because cooling an image, warming an image, might just, it might just tinker with the exposure a little bit. So you might just need to do that. You might occasionally need to just bring the highlights down on something or raise the shadows. But that's about it, right? If you're moving all of the sliders and tinkering about for every single photo... That is where the inconsistency comes from. Not only does it become inconsistent and your images don't look similar to each other and like they're all over the place. So like one image looks like this and another image looks like that. But it also means that you are spending lots and lots of time on each image. So this is the way that I've found an efficient process. And that's it. Um occasionally there might need to be somewhere you do a bit of local adjustments, some masking. You might need to do something with the sky. You know, some of the AI features now in Lightroom are amazing, like being able to mask the sky automatically without having to mess around with gradients and stuff. Um, masking people, 
um, gradients, radials. And what I usually do is I will mask something and then I will use the invert tool. So I'll get the thing that I, the subject, I will get that exposed correctly. Then I will mask the subject, invert it so that it affects everything apart from the subject. And then I'll change the exposure on the stuff that's not the subject so that it brings the emphasis to the subject, if that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense, what I've just said. And that's how I basically compensate for the exposure differences in different parts of the scene. Sometimes I might remove any unwanted items in the scene using the clone heel tool, although it's very rare. I'm not going to lie, it's very rare. I'll take images into Photoshop very occasionally, hardly at all. Um, because I find that the the tool, the, the clone heel tool in Lightroom is good enough to get rid of most small objects that are in the background. Um, and I think that a lot of the AI stuff that's now in, in Photoshop is going to be coming into Lightroom soon. So that's going to make, you know, that's going to make a massive difference. So basically... That is how I deal with the photo editing. And then what I will do is I will copy the settings off one photo and then I'll just paste them onto the next because I've usually changed my settings between some photos and one photo I might then change my settings to the next photo. But usually for a sequence of photos, like 10, 20 photos, I won't have ch- if, if they're all in the same light, if the same location, same light, I won't have changed my settings at all. So by copying and pasting the white balance and the exposure, I should get very consistent photos for the next few photos. Then when I change location or the lighting changes, I will start fresh and I will get the exposure and the white balance right again. Then I'll copy those settings and then I'll paste those onto the subsequent photos in the catalogue. Um, you know, I'm using the hotkeys to do that. If you don't use the hotkeys and you're kind of doing everything manually, you, you, you need to kind of learn the basics. I don't I don't know all the hotkeys. I don't know all the settings that you can just like alter by pressing a key. Um, but I know, you know, the basic stuff that I need to get through. And by understanding that, um, you know, Stuff like copy and pasting, everyone should know that anyway. But you know, these these things are gonna save you so much time. When you get to this stage, you can probably spend, you know, seconds on each image um and become very and it becomes very intuitive very quickly. So believe me, as someone who's like struggled with like getting a consistent look in my photos. This process that I've just explained to you, this is, I've just edited, I'm in the pro, well, I'm in the process of editing a gallery right now. This is the process I'm using. So it's so helpful. I wish I'd understood how to do this from the start. I would literally, when I first start out, I would be, each photo would be approaching it with fresh, you know, I'd be starting from scratch with each photo. And I, I, just was like, why is everything, why does the whole gallery look so inconsistent? Why does the white balance, why is it all over the place? I mean, I didn't even realise it was the white balance at that point. I thought it was like, why are the colours so different in this, you know, in, in all of these images? And it was like, I I didn't understand at that point when I first started out how different the light conditions, you know, the light colour would affect everything in the scene. Um. And it's, it's just kind of making sure that they're consistent will make sure that your images are consistent and that you have that, you know, there is a, there is a particular colour aesthetic going through all the way through your gallery, even in different lighting conditions. Um, so doing that means you basically can edit a gallery of hundreds of photos in just a few hours. Um, And I'm not talking about using AI and stuff. I'm talking about this is manually doing it. If you start using like, you know, some of the software, the AI software that's coming out, you could, you know, you don't even need to worry about a lot of this stuff. But these are still adjustments you probably need to make on some of the photos, even if you're using an AI software. So that's kind of the photo editing process. I've talked through how the organisation is going to help when it comes to editing still images. 
What about video? Because like I've already said, video is more difficult. The editing process is longer. It is more complicated. There's more to think about. So how do I approach that? How do I get organized for that? It's very similar. I'm not going to lie. But what we're going to do first is divide video up into two parts. So you may have heard the phrase B-roll. And effectively what B-roll is, is all the shots that you're going to use to help enhance a story, to show something that isn't necessarily um, the main narrative of what you are talking about in the video. So an example of this might be if you were using some vows from a wedding ceremony or some speeches from the wedding reception or a a note or a letter that the couple have exchanged and you're using a filmed piece where they're reading that out and you have got the visual of that and you've recorded the audio and you might be using that as the the main part of your story to tell that story and that would be classes like your A-roll that stuff that is key to it those interviews those um those those kind of documentary pieces of the wedding day the ceremony the speeches you know entrances things like that we'll call that A-roll and then your B-roll is like all of the other footage that you're going to get throughout the day that then you are going to use to cut into the footage to help enhance and tell that story visually um, as well as the the kind of main thing that you've got. So because we're, we're dividing those two things up, there is a process of, for me, doing that A-roll first, if that makes sense. But I probably approach it a little bit differently to how some people do because for most of my weddings I will do a full doc edit a documentary edit now whatever you refer to this as um, because it gets referred to different things this is essentially a long form all of the footage pretty much not every single bit but all of the usable good footage is going to go into this this is to tell the story of the wedding day it's going to be a long form film it's going to include the ceremony it's going to include the speeches probably the first dance if they have any like entertainment that's particularly you know they've they've spent money on it like a band or some singing waiters a magician there might be some longer clips of that in there because it's stuff that they might want to see back because they didn't get to experience it on the day not everyone offers this um over the recent years it's become more popular as wedding videos have become more popular it's become more popular to do a shorter highlight creative style film whereas um, as well as doing that, I, I do that creative film, but I also do this uh, this longer form film. So this is how I approach video editing, which might be slightly different to how other people do it. The first thing is almost a cull, if you like. And this could be referred to in video editing terminology as like selects, making making selects, choosing the the footage that you're going to use. People will have different ways of doing this. They might do it by tagging the footage. They might do it by selecting in and out points on the footage. It also depends on what editing software you're using. Um, So essentially, you're going to go through the footage. Because of the fact that I'm going to make the doc edit, I'm going to tell you my process, which will be different. So first thing I do is I go through and I find all of the clips and the audio um, sources to do with the ceremony. Then I do the same with the speeches and I will I will basically rename these files. I will do it in the editing software. I'm using Final Cut Pro. Um, and I will rename those files so that I've got ceremony, all the files to do with the ceremony, different angles, different audio sources. Then I'll do the same with the speeches. I'll do the same with the first dance. If there is something that is another um, particular type of footage that I'm going to use, multicam if you like, Anything that I'm going to multicam, and multicam basically means anything where you've got more than one source, you can build a file in your editing software which creates a big master file which has all the angles and they're all synced up so that they're in time with each other. So that when you click from one 
shot to the other or a different audio source to the other, it's going to be at exactly the same point for all the sources. So you can use whichever source you want and kind of create a nice continuous um, film of that that event. So for things like the ceremony speeches, you definitely want multicams. I will also do those multicams for things where I have more than one angle or one source of audio for it, and I'll create the multicams, and I do that first. So I name, rename everything, then select all those files, create multicams out of them, and then from there, I'm going to then create the edit of the ceremony, of the speeches, of the first dance and anything else. And I'm going to basically watch through it and I'm going to switch the angle or switch the audio source and that's going to create that as a standalone thing, which I'm then going to go and put it into the doc edit. But I create that first because it needs doing before you can choose what footage you got, you know, what um, audio you're going to use in your film, for instance, like the vowels and the speeches, the things that are said, you're going to want to hear those first. That's going to be the basis for your film when you do the creative edit. So I, I make those pieces first. And I, while I'm doing that, I will mark points on it using markers to make like little notes of things that I might use later on in a creative edit. So that's what basically my step one. Once I've created those multicams, when I've finished editing them and choosing the angles that I want to show the couple of those things, of those events. I'll then create those into compound clips and that basically just puts it all back together. Instead of it all being chopped up, it puts it all together in one nice big clip and it makes it easy to then drop into the doc edit and to use in anything else I'm going to use later on. It's just a tidy way of doing it. It's a step that you don't have to do, but it's what I do. And then I'm going to take all of the footage, pretty much, and I'm going to put it on one massive timeline. Um, that's going to be my doc edit, if you like. I You could go through each clip and just make in and out points and select the bits of the clip, each clip that you want to put in your doc edit. But I find it quicker and easier to actually have the whole lot on a timeline and then just scrub through the timeline, um, selecting the bits, trimming the clips in a timeline rather than in the inspector, if you like. So that's basically how I do it. So I'm going to have everything on the timeline. I'm going to delete all the files from like the ceremony and speeches because I've already made those. I don't need don't need those. So I'll just delete all those. And then I will go from the start of the day and I'll work through the day, basically selecting the bits of each of each clip that I've captured that I want. And because I'm always creating doc edits, compared to how some people will film weddings, I do film typically longer clips. So rather than just having clips where I might have 10 seconds of footage, I may have quite a lot of clips where I might have been recording for at least a minute. And it's because I'm going to use parts of the audio or parts of the visual as kind of a base um, to kind of then layer other things over. But I can't really go into the exact editing. I can't tell you everything I do with the editing. I'm just basically going through the organisation part. So... Once I've done that and I've got all of my doc edit clips, I then go through and I have the basis of the doc edit. But I'm going to want some music in there. Now what I do is I've got a playlist. I use Musicbed as my um, place to get licensed music from. And I have a playlist in there which is doc edit playlist. And basically they are songs that I know are like standard songs that can't be, they're not going to offend or they're not going to be too one way or the other. Um, people are just like them as wedding music. So I will pick some of those tracks that I think will go with the wedding and download them. And then they will get used in the doc edit. So I will, I will download them. I'll put them in a folder. I talked about the folder structure previously. I'll put them in the music part of that folder. And then I'll import them into Final Cut and I will use them as kind of basis of my doc edit i will also use music recorded from the day in my doc edit for example if they have a musician i will usually have at least one song's worth where i actually put the camera and a microphone near that person who was playing like guitar singing um, strings whatever it was and i will record not everyone has a musician by the way but if they do um and I will record at least one song's worth, usually a few songs worth 
of them singing. And I will use that in the drinks reception part of the doc edit as the music. And I will cut different clips in over the top of that. That's because I believe that if they've paid for it and they've done that for a reason because they like that person singing, they like the person playing the instrument. So I want them to be able to relive that part. And that's a way of doing it, um, which is semi-creative in, in that, you know, it's not just, they're not just sat there watching somebody sing or play an instrument for, for five minutes, but they're actually getting that plus some of the other atmosphere over the top of it. For other parts of the day, like they're getting ready and other parts of the day, or if they don't have any musicians, I'm going to need some music to kind of like montage to, if you like. So I will use live audio from the day, but I will also montage into that. So I'll have music and I'll have things going over the top. Um, and that basically, I will then edit through to music and to the live audio from the day. And I will create that feature doc edit. At the end, I will have something that, depending on the length of the ceremony or the length of the speeches, it's going to be somewhere in the region of probably 45 minutes to 90 minutes long. Sometimes it's longer than that. And then I have already seen all of the footage then. I know exactly um, what are the like absolute banging hero shots, the, 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 the most emotional moments. I've kind of banked in my mind what are the key pick out things from this wedding. Um, but also I've, I've, I'm aware of the kind of narrative I want to go with. I've watched the ceremony. I've watched the speeches. I know what was said in the vows. I know what was said in the speeches. So I've started to formulate an idea of what I'm going to create, what sound bites I want to use and how that's going to move the story along. So then I'm going to start the creative edit by selecting all of the really good um, sound bites from the ceremony, speeches, any readings or um, any letters, notes, exchange cards, etc., or anything else that, that kind of might work as, as a good audio bit. And I'm going to put them all on a timeline, which is going to be the basis of my creative edit. I'm not going to arrange them at that point. I'm just going to put them there. And then I'm going to go away and I'm going to look for some music that will go with that. And I will have made lots and lots of playlists. I'm going to cover music in a different episode, so I'm not going to go on about that now, but I have made lots of playlists over the years of songs that I'm like, different genres, different types of music for different vibes. And I can usually find something fairly quick because I've got so many playlists with music in already. And I will make a playlist for that couple and then I will put things that I think might work into that. Then I'll start to listen to the audio bites and start to kind of um, tap, put them in time, put them in a, a space that I think will work. And then I'll, f I'll, I'll listen to bits of music from Musicbed with those bits of audio. And I'll be like, that works. That sounds right. It matches the tone of what's being said. So I'll download that. Then I'll put that into the timeline and I'll start to get the timing of this right. This is kind of the A-roll process. I am basically creating this this timeline with music in it and with the audio bites from the day so that it kind of has a nice cadence to it. It rises, it falls at the right moments um, and it gets kind of the timing right. There are things that you can do with music to change the timing of it, to change the pitch of it, to change the length of it. I'm not going to talk about that in this episode. But essentially... I then will go through and create the basis of my creative film. And again, it will depend on how long your creative film is because some people's might be three minutes, some people might be 20 minutes. But I'm going to basically create that base. Once I've got that base in place and I'm happy with it and I've kind of tinkered with the ordering of it, once I've got that nailed down, I'm then going to go through and start adding B-roll and other clips into that to tell the story and then obviously titles and things like that once I've got all that down I will go through and I will master the audio because I want to make sure the audio fades in and fades out and isn't too jarring so in terms of like when people are speaking I don't want it to just come in and be like too loud and too ab ab abrupt I want it to kind of like fade in if there's a way I might add extra sound effects in there I don't, I'm not going to do loads and loads of sound design for a wedding but where there's 
where you need noise in there just to like layer it a little bit, where you need extra cheering or clapping, I'm going to be able to add that in. I'll, I'll, again, that's a totally different topic. And then the last step is going to be to colour grade. Um, and I'm going to basically use a base lot that I've already talked about that's similar to my preset, put that over the top. Then I'm going to go through and I'm going to edit each clip so that I colour correct and colour grade so that each clip kind of looks right next to the next clip um because it isn't just a case of this is the right color because the white balance is correct the exposure is correct it's about when you go from one clip to the next if you're in complete if you're showing completely different lighting conditions you don't really you can't just use the same the exact right um, white balance and exposure you have to kind of you don't want it to be too jarring so you have to be mindful that if something's quite warm and then the next image is cool you're going to need to warm that cooler image up because the lighting conditions might be completely different for that clip but you don't want it to be too jarring so you've got to subtly blend that and that's basically my process and once I've done all that and I've got to the end then I'm going to export and I might be making a teaser which I might have already made like a, a vertical teaser um, I'll make some thumbnails from the footage um, and there might be a few other little edits that I do but essentially I'm going to export the doc edit and I'm going to export the um, creative edit and that's my process for, for video and that's I approach it the same way every time gets gets the same results but also helps you to not be confused about where you are with things you know you, you're ready for it um, because it is, it's you know you're following a process that is usually the same. Um, nine times out of ten, it's the same. Occasionally, there might be a reason that you've gone a little bit different, but nine times out of ten, it's the same. So, takeaway from this is that you really want to have these things and you won't have it straight away because you're going to be experimenting and you're going to be trying different things out and you're not going to know what your flow is to things. but And I'm not saying that you should copy what I do, but what you want to do is you want to look at getting to a place where you have a particular workflow, you have a particular way of organising things, and that is going to help you to be efficient and effective when it comes to editing. And it's going to help you to get through that backlog. It's going to help you to get those films and photographs and galleries and things out to your couples faster and it's going to stop you from hating what you do and procrastinating because it is inevitable that you will feel like that at some point. We all do. Hope it's been helpful listening to this. If you've got any questions, comments, please get me at your.story.studios. You can also, there is still an Instagram account for um, at how to shoot hybrid. You can catch me there. I'm probably going to start using that again. Um, haven't really decided yet. Still up in the air. I'm trying to get through my workload, through my backlog, so that I can start thinking about the content I want to create going forward for the the How to Shoot Habit podcast and YouTube channel and everything. But that's it for now. And I'll catch you in the next one. See ya.